My name is Paul, I'm pastor here at New Life, and I know that we have many guests here today, and just excited to have you here. And we are going to have some fun today with a few other people sharing. So um, in a moment, I'm going to invite some of our moms. But I wanted to tell you a story first. The first person in the Bible to give God a name was a mother. Her name was Hagar. And Hagar was a woman who um, was captured. Her people were captured by another group of people. And they were taken away into captivity. And she was uh, eventually uh, bought by a husband and wife. This was not unusual in the culture of that time. We're talking 3,000 years ago. And so she was forced to live with this husband and wife. And the biblical story that tells us about her is found in Genesis 16. And what's curious is the husband and wife, their names are Abram and Sarai. They became Abraham and Sarah. When they talk about Hagar, they never mention her name. Because to them, culturally, she was just property. Well... They have trouble conceiving. And Sarah says, well, take the slave. Have kids with her, and then they'll be my kids. And that's what happens. But when she becomes pregnant, Sarah, her owner, gets really jealous and begins to mistreat her really bad. In fact, things get so bad that Hagar runs away from them, and she runs into the wilderness. It is a hopeless act of a person who is utterly hopeless. And she is wandering around in the desert. And eventually, by crazy odds, or by something and someone who's guiding her, she ends up at a well, at an oasis in the desert, in the wilderness. And she's at the well, and she meets somebody. And the biblical writers tell us it was an angel of the Lord. It can also be uh, understood as she has an encounter with God. And while she is there in her lowest, knowing that she's pregnant, because we're already told that, this angel who approaches her and begins talking with her asks her a question. And I think the question is so important that it's worth us considering asking it of ourselves today. And he says to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? And in that one question, he enabled her to look back at her past and all of her pain, all of her heartache, all of the awful things that had been happening to her that she was running from. And he allowed her to look ahead to her fears and her worries and her concerns. And he brought both her past and her future into a question that forced her to focus on right now. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she took the time to reflect. What a great question. And she had an encounter with God in her presence. Because no matter what's gone on in the past and whatever's bothering us about the future, the only time anyone has ever had an encounter with God is in the present, in the now for them. 
And so Hagar answers him, I'm running away. Things are too much. And then the angel reminds her, Hagar, God's been listening to all of your pain, all of your cries, all of your fears, all of your heartaches. God has been listening. In fact, the baby that you have, I want you to to give him a name. And I want you to name your baby Ishmael. Ishmael is a name that means God hears. God has heard your crying. God has heard your pain. God has heard your worries and the shame. And he's listening. And he hears, oh, how he hears you. And then the angel is gone. And the angel has invited her, instead of to continue running, to go back to where she came from. And she does. What an incredible act of courage. And on her way back, she reflects on the encounter that she's just had. And it's at that moment that she gives God a name. She names him El Roy, the God who sees me. This woman who's a slave, she's a woman. All of these things just knock her down to less than nothing culturally of the day. She's an outsider. She's been taken against her will. She's had sexual relations against her will. She's become pregnant. Everything seems to be against her, and she feels hopeless and despondent, even though there might be highs in there as well. And in in that pain and that shame and that fear and that uncertainty, God meets her and reminds her, I'm listening to you. And then she says, you are the God who sees me. This woman in Genesis 16, you can read about her life from Genesis 16 to Genesis 21. This woman, this outsider, this nothing, has a distinct privilege of being the very first person to tell us who God is and what he is like by naming him. The very first person to give God a name was a mother. And I just think that is so cool. And for the rest of this morning, much like we receive wisdom from Hagar in the way that she names God, I've invited four mothers in our congregation to come up and join us and have a conversation about what it's like to be a mother in faith and all things life. So I'm going to invite you ladies to come up now and grab a seat and we're going to have some fun just having a little bit of a conversation and we're going to let you watch in on it. Hello? Okay, just checking. <laughs> yes, make sure your mics are on. Check, check. Yep. <clears throat> Hello. So we'll know okay. if you can tell us your name, where you're from. Jen, is it working or no? I can't tell. Yeah, no. Okay. All right. 
So tell us who you are and uh, and how many children you have. Um, I'm Jen. I have four kids from four to 12. Um, and we homeschool, which I think everyone got a glimpse of that <laughs> the last three years. Maybe a not so positive glimpse, but um, yeah. My name is Carrie. We have three kids who are four, two and a half, and almost 10 months. Is that it? You're doing great. (laughs) I think many of you know me. My name is Rudy. I have two sons, uh, Tyson and Liam, who are 18 and 22. I'm Teresa. I have two children. They are 35 and 36. Thanks, Teresa. So what I'd like to start off with is just tell us about some, just some joys you have of, from being a mother. What are some of the cool things about being a mom? <laughs> Actually, you know, it wasn't even in the questions that I gave them. So. Yeah. <laughs> this is my daughter over there. <laughs> She's going to hack on me the whole thing. <clears throat> um, uh, honestly... There's just so many, I can't even imagine, I can't even begin to start. I mean, the moment they're born, like, that is just a gift, and it's, I'm going to cry. And my kids are 36 years old, and I'm still crying about them being born. Okay, yeah, that was dumb. Who did the tissue up here? Um, Like, honestly. (laughs) I'm a man, and I didn't think about crying, so there's no (laughs) tissue up here, so. Sorry. Um, Yeah, like... There, every for me, every stage was uh, a joy and a blessing. And there were hard times, and there were good times. And y- you just kind of take them one at a time. And often you look back and go, "Whoa, what was that all about?" But you get through it. And yeah. How about others? What are some of the, the joys you have as a mom? I would have to say that those moments where you've told them something a million times and then they go out into the world and they display those awesome things to other people and you were like, they were listening. Um, Well, we have pretty little kids still. So I think one of my favorite things is just watching them learn how to do things for themselves and like, oh, so that's how that works. And like seeing the world through their eyes is really refreshing, I guess. I like that part. (laughs) I think one of mine would be um, just watching them develop relationships with each other and kind of cultivate that friendship. To be honest, sometimes I'm also trying to stop them from like not liking each other. (laughs) But, But yeah, just seeing the times where they really like take care of each other and cherish each other is probably one of my So the natural question to follow that is, what are some of the challenges you have from being a mom? Um, Mine would just, well, there's probably lots, but having four kids, it's just the volume of like them sometimes and their noise and their stuff, right? Like they have, because there's a range and they're boys and girls, we have all of their current clothes and hand-me-downs we're saving and toys for all of their interests and... Um, I think it's like Proverbs or something that says, um, where there are no ox, oxen, the manger is clean. Like, it's, it's one of those things that I've had to just slowly accept that, especially with homeschooling and them never, never, leaving. never leaving, the house is just not going to look perfect, and they definitely live in it, but 
that's probably one of my challenges is just kind of feeling overwhelmed by everything we've got going on. Same. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) As well as I think in this uh, small younger age group and just coming through COVID, the sickness, like somebody is always so sick and it's just like really hard and annoying. (laughs) It will get better. Good. (laughs) When they're about 17, that's when it gets better. I don't know about that. I would have to say for me, uh, most of it's been a struggle. Uh, I'm the single mom on the panel, um, so I've had to do everything myself. um, And that's hard, especially when you're a mom of boys. So essentially, I managed to somehow teach the first boy how to shave, and then he taught his brother. (laughs) Go ahead, Teresa. What are the challenges of being a mom? (laughs) Um, Of your beautiful child. Children? (laughs) Um, I I think the challenges change as they get older, and they're not so much challenges, but more accepting of who they are as adults and how they've been raised. If we've done a good enough job, then they, you have to let them be their own people. And we sort of got to the point when they turned about 17, 18, it's like, okay, they have to make their own choices. And that could be, they could move to Timbuktu or they could, you know, you just have to let them go and that is the hardest thing to do is to let them go so Rudy I want to come back to you just mentioned you're a single mom and you had two boys and they're both actually men now Um, so what are some of the some of the struggles you had as a single mom raising kids Uh, as I said most of it Um, another part of my single parenting is I had no family help So when you hear other single moms at least get a break for the day because the grandparents took them for the day, I had none of that. I've been with my boys pretty much 24-7 for 20 years. I need a break. (laughs) So, um, and, and I think sometimes it's also, as you get older, it's harder to make friends. So a lot of your friends fell off when you had babies because they figure, oh, her hands are full, we don't want to bother her. But then you just spend the next 20 years kind of with no friends, no backup, no anything. So, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. So, I think that's where church comes in. Because for us, this church family was everything. And just knowing that we could bring our kids here for youth events, for whatever, that they were in a safe place. They were with people who loved them unconditionally. And, I mean, I was part of that youth program, and there were some times that were challenging, even with my own children. I do remember one episode where my son had been out very late with a girl one night, and she went in and talked to Shane, who was the youth pastor at the time, and he asked me to go in with her, with him, to be in the room with her. And she was telling me that, oh, my boyfriend, I didn't know that he and she and Tom were dating at the time, and she said, 
oh, my boyfriend came with me and he came at one o'clock in the morning and I thought, I know nothing about this. And Tom said he could tell by my body language that he was in trouble. Because I was standing with my back to the window and I just kind of went, and I thought, I have two choices here. I can freak out and kill him or I can calmly listen and it took every prayer every strength every ounce of my body not to kill him <laughs> and when I came out of the room the first words out of his mouth were mom I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry and I'm like okay let's just sit down and talk about this but that was very difficult to do but this church family was there every step of the way and when they say it takes a community or it takes a village amen it takes that and every one of you who were part of that i thank you from the bottom of my heart because it does help it helps to guide those children into being amazing adults so one of the questions that i had for them to think about ahead of time and we've kind of it's they're touching on it now is you know, how has the church helped you as a mom? But I want to ask all of you, how has the church helped you or how has the church, like, not helped for you as a mom? Because I think there's probably some learning for us, especially for, for men. We tend to, um, yeah, we're, there's still lots of patriarchy in our, in our society and in our churches. And so one of the questions I wanted to kind of touch on and not that we're going to do a bunch of bashing, but what are some of the things maybe or areas where the church wasn't to help for you as a mom? Or, if you want, where it was. I don't know if I have a, um, a real hinder. I do remember when being here after having Emily, our first baby, and with breastfeeding. I don't remember ever seeing anyone breastfeeding in the service. And I remember feeling like, is someone going to come and like talk to me or something? But luckily the wings kind of get darker during the, the sermon, but I'm, I'm always now so glad when I see other moms like not feeling like they have to step out when their baby just wants to eat and it's not losing its mind or anything, so not that you have to leave either if it's crying, it's no one minds I think, but um, that was my one place where I just didn't know if I'd have support or not, but it wasn't a bad experience, it just was an unknown. Um, on the other side, like I feel, I feel bad for people that aren't in a church community because I don't know if you're in the secular world, once you get married and you have kids and you stop having like your friends you hang out with in the evenings, I think that can probably be very isolating. But churches have mom's group that I went to for probably longer than I should have because I kept having t babies and toddlers, but I also had my like eight-year-old there with me because I homeschooled. I know Carrie came for a while before COVID um, to that same one. And it was amazing because we had this mom who was now a grandma leading it and she was so wise, but also just the support of everyone there when you were going through a hard thing, you could come and they got it. And when you had things to celebrate, they were aware there and they got it. And same with small groups, like our small group, when we've gone through hard stuff has been amazing. And again, when with the joys, they were there too. And then you see too, um, times when you were celebrating something and someone else was grieving something, right? And, and the space to have both of those things at the same time without negating someone's experience, right? Like you're just there for each other, so. I'm going to ask some pointed questions now, just to, to keep us going. And um, so, Carolyn, I mean, your parents did an amazing job raising you. So. 
For those of you who don't know, I'm her dad. Um, how has your faith in following Jesus um, influenced how you mother your children? I think um, one of the first things when you gave me this question that I was thinking about was grace and just like how many times I mess up as a mom and how many times I see my kids mess up and just that Jesus is there. I think it's in the book of James that it says God gives grace generously and it's just comforting to know that because sometimes as a mom it's like very challenging and just when your kids are always making wrong choices or doing things like Rudy said you tell them a thousand times and it's like why can't you just like do what I'm telling you (laughs) um so knowing that like flipping it back on myself I do the exact same thing when it comes to God and God's probably like what are you doing like why can't you just listen to me so knowing that I have grace from Jesus and that I can also demonstrate grace to my kids, I think is really big. And also, well, a while ago, I um, felt like I just needed to fully surrender to Jesus, like to not try and control everything myself. Like that's my personality is to like control everything and like, yeah, and have like (laughs) lists for everything and, with kids, that's hard because they're their own people and they choose their own things. So I think just, yeah, fully surrendering, surrendering to Jesus and seeing how much that has blessed my life and turned me to be a much more patient mom and um, also being able to teach my kids that as well. Like instead of, like if a situation, or I should say when a situation comes up and they um, disobey or something, just being able to tell them, like, not just that that behavior is wrong, but also why. And, like, we want to choose to be like Jesus. And, yeah. I can't think of anything else. Thanks. <laughs> Teresa, your children have children of their own. That makes you a grandmother. <clears throat> yes. So, you are, you are the, the matriarch with all the wisdom here. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> How has your role as a mom changed over the years as you've moved into being grandma? Um, it, hmm, that's, a, that's a hard question because it has, but it hasn't. Um, it has because my children have children, so I have to listen to them. Um, and I've told my granddaughters that too. It's like, if mommy and daddy have said this, I have to do it too. Because that's the only way they're going to learn from their parents. So, and that's sometimes hard because, you know, I'm a mom, I should be able to. And if, and the, the kids are really good about if I've had a situation with one of the girls, they will let me finish it. They won't let me, they won't take over and say, no, this is the way it should be done. So, and I appreciate that. Um, cause that tells me that they respect me as well, but you have to kind of take a step back sometimes as a grandparent and maybe walk away if a situation is kind of, because you might not agree with the way that they're going to discipline them or talk to them or whatever. And so that, that you need to have respect for them to let them do their job as a parent too. Um, and that can be tough, but zip it. (laughs) 
Um, Jen, so something unique in your situation. You've got four great kids, and um, but you also, you and Craig experienced uh, a stillbirth um, many years ago. And I just was wondering if you could talk a little bit about going through that. There's people out here that maybe have been going through miscarriages or various things like that. And I just was hoping you could talk a little bit about some of what you learned and um, how you got through that. Um, how we got through it was definitely one day at a time. Like there was, um, like at the, at the, at the beginning, there's, there's all, there's books that people gave us that were like the stages of grief and, and all of that. And I remember very early on feeling like those books just made me feel guilty because I wasn't grieving that way. I wasn't really angry and I wasn't blaming everyone. And so then I felt like, Right? Maybe I don't care as much as I should because I'm not doing it how someone else um, would. But I think, yeah, you just have to do what feels honoring to you and with, um, like your spouse and then also to your baby in terms of how you process it and what you do. And so we, um, he was full term, Griffin, when we, he was still born. And so we actually called the, our family to the hospital so they could meet him and everything, um, and we actually sang, um, blessed be your name, over him, and so I'm like, <laughs> looking at me, because I was crying during the service, but, um, and I, I didn't feel the sentiment of that song at the time, right, I didn't feel grateful yet that um, we were going through these hard times, but, um, yeah, we had them all come, and we sang the song over him, and then we ended up doing our own little service. I didn't want to have one at the church where other people felt like they had to come, and I had to expend extra en- energy, like, <laughs> greeting people, right, that hadn't met him and hadn't really talked to me while I was pregnant. So we did it in our own backyard with our small group and our family and stuff. Um, and then we just focused on what was good for both of us. Craig and I did not grieve the same way. I wanted to talk about it over and over and process it and think about the moment that it could have gone differently and stuff, and Craig didn't. He wanted to get busy and just not. So I remember a time, like a couple of days after in the kitchen, that we just were like, we need to not let this be a thing that pulls us apart. And it didn't. In the end, it definitely made us closer um, and have a stronger marriage. But but that was a choice we had to make to, to focus on each other and what was um, healthy for each other. And then just... Yeah, letting it happen as it as it came. God sent so many amazing people into our lives that not even all of them Christian. Our midwife was not Christian, but she was exactly who we needed to help process that and be there for us. Um, and kind of what I said with community earlier, like two weeks after Griffin died was Sam and Trevor's wedding, and I remember going to their wedding, and we got so many hugs and love from people. Even though people were there to celebrate them, they also grieved and were there for us. So it was just, those were the things that really helped and got through it. Thanks for sharing that, because I know that that's still like a, a vulner- place of vulnerability for you, and appreciate you sharing that. Appreciate all of you being up here sharing, because you kind of represent everybody out here. So I want to ask a final question and ask each of you to, to just engage with it. And it's, um, what encouragement would you give to women listening today? We have grandmothers and mothers and people who are not yet mothers, people who are trying, but it's not working. Uh, what would you say for encouragement to them that we all could learn from, not just the women, but all of the men as well? 
What would you offer? One day at a time. Love, patience, tolerance, respect, and just to enjoy every moment that you have with the people around you. My biggest would be check in on people. Even if you think their hands are full or they're really busy, those are probably the people you need to check in on most. So check in on people. The one thing that I wanted to share about this question was like, God is so cool and he genuinely cares about every single person, no matter what you're going through. Like as a mom, sometimes you can feel just like a little blip on the map, like super insignificant and forgotten but he cares, and I'd like to share a little story if there's time, just to, as proof or whatever. Um, I would say that something that, I don't know, it literally made my jaw drop, this story. There was one day when I was going about my day, you know, like I said, nothing significant as a mom, and um, I realized, oh, we don't have any toilet paper left, like there's no toilet paper. And all day long, as I was putting the baby down for a nap, oh, I have to remember to write toilet paper on the list. And then as I, was, as I was cooking supper, I have to remember to put toilet paper on the list. And then I woke up in the middle of the night to feed the baby. And again, I was like, oh, I didn't put toilet paper on the list. Like, Lord, I'm getting groceries tomorrow, please. I know you are dealing with, like, wars and famine and way worse problems than toilet paper, God. But, like, we are going to be in a tough spot if we don't get this toilet paper tomorrow. And so the next day, of course I forgot because it was the middle of the night when I was remembering that. But like I said earlier, I made a choice to surrender and um, just really put everything into Jesus and just pray constantly, basically, in my head. Just anything that comes to mind, I'll just bounce it off God, kind of. And so the next day, get all the kids loaded up. We're in the grocery store, and we are, like, right right through the doors. Like, as soon as we get in there, I remember I was grabbing a honeydew melon, and my toddler looks at me and goes, Mom, did you write toilet paper on the list? And I was like, what? Like, thank you. <laughs> so he cares. God cares about the things you think are small and insignificant. I think mine would be if you feel like there's something missing in the church or something, sometimes you just have to be the one to start the, that starts that, even in your friend group, right? Like if you feel like people aren't, yeah, checking in on each other or bringing meals, sometimes you just have to be the first one to volunteer a meal and then people learn that that's okay or they, they think, oh, that made me feel so good that someone did that and they turn around and pass it on. So I think sometimes if you're really down because no one's doing these things for you. Sometimes you just have to go out and be the one to do it first. And then it just, yeah, creates this culture where people then do it. And we are all kind of then building up kind of a better place to be with each other. But I know for me, there's been times where I've thought, I really wish, especially after you've had your first baby and there's no longer the showers, but I really wish someone would just like celebrate this. And so at Mom's Group, we, we started that. We started when people were going to have another baby, we had, we could, we, it was a blessing way, but basically we just like wrote down all these thoughts and we made this little pray, um, prayer bracelet for them and it was, and people would bring little gifts, but it was just to really like 
celebrate and, and kind of focus on the mom. And, and then eventually, I wasn't pregnant at the time, but eventually it worked around and I had another baby and I got to experience it. And it was, it was amazing that that was then in place. So, Thank you all so much. Can we give them a hand? <laughs> I'd like to pray, and then we will wrap up and move to, uh, to our mealtime. But um, let's, let's pray. You know, we, we address you as Heavenly Father. And yet, God, we know that um, uh, gender and sex are not uh, a part of you, but you've created us with that. And I thank you that in the scriptures, you remind us that it is the the male and female together that, um, that bear the image of God. Uh, most clearly, each of us bear your image. And uh, we're grateful for how you, how you bring people together. We're grateful for our mothers. Think of the story of Hagar and how beautiful that is. I think of the story of Ruth and how much we learn about you through the story of Ruth. I remember that Jesus taught us that, that he's longing to gather us together like a mother hen gathers the chicks. That in the, the Torah, the wisdom literature, uh, wisdom is, is that female voice. I think of the mother of Jesus and what that must have been like for her for everything she went through. So today, we thank you for, for moms, for all the women in our lives, and how you, how you uh, teach us and shape us, challenge us through their lives and through their voices. And may that continue to be so here in this family. We thank you for uh, the men that have been hard at work in the kitchen and getting uh, brunch ready for us, and uh, we're grateful for the chance to sit together and continue to, um, to enjoy the day. It's a gift from you, and for that we are thankful. Amen. <laughs>